Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Welcome again to another episode of the thing that we haven't named yet. But really, I know, right? I can't believe we're seven episodes in and we haven't named this thing. But uh, my, I'm your host, Josh Carter from Patriot Bootcamp. And with me, as always, is the, the absolutely gorgeous Carmen Nazario. Welcome. And, and, and I'm so excited because, Carmen, you've been out for a while. Yes. Welcome I, back. Thank you. We, we've missed you dearly. Yes, and I'm I'm sorry I, I couldn't make it, and even today I'm pushing it. Yeah, because uh, I had lost my voice. So, um, I went to Argentina and and just kind of caught the flu. And oh, last no. week I wasn't here because I totally couldn't talk. Yeah, and this week I'm doing better, so yeah. I'm happy to be back. You sound great, and we're we're excited to have you here. So uh, I'm you. excited this week. Uh, as I said, it's the seventh episode. We have yet to name it, so I wanted to wait until you got back. Maybe we can do that later this afternoon. But uh, But I'm excited today because we have another Patriot Bootcamp alumni. One of my, uh, one of our most amazing alumni, Bart Lamont from Robin Autopilot, which is a uh, franchised model for. I, I want to say it's like a Roomba for lawnmowers. Is the best way I can describe it. But Bart will uh, Bart will definitely fill us in and give us a lot more information about it. Uh, so we have a great show. Are you excited? I'm excited to can, hear his story. I can tell you're excited. So uh, so without further ado, uh, Bart, welcome to the show. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Carmen. Uh, sorry to hear you were under the weather last week. I think that's uh, hopefully the end of the uh, winter flu bug this year. Yes, definitely. Carmen caught a special kind of winter flu. It's the Argentina winter flu, which is apparently <laughs> much, much more, uh, much more, uh, I don't know how to really put it. Much more uh, impactful. It, it, it was it was worth it. It was definitely an adventure. I, I don't so. doubt it. I would go to Argentina and catch the flu every single day if I could. <laughs> so Bart, welcome to the program. Uh, we really want to dive in to talk about you, Robin Autopilot, and how you came up with the idea. Because really, the premise of this show is to give our listeners an understanding of the journey that you've gone through as an entrepreneur. Some of the bumps along the road and figure out what you've learned along the way. And so before we get to all of that, we want to learn more about Bart. We want to get to know Bart, right? Definitely. So uh, so tell us a little bit about your military. Obviously, you're a veteran. Tell us a little about the, uh, the sort of thought process that you had about going into the military and, and talk a little bit about your experience. Of course. Well, well, thank you. Um, you know, so, so I grew up uh, the youngest of six children, uh, but the only son of a grain farmer. Uh, my father in, in rural northeast Indiana um, has, uh, has a grain farm he still manages today. Uh, 2,000 acres of corn, soybeans, wheat, uh, wow. you know, typical production agriculture farm. And, uh, you know, growing up my entire life, as the only son of a farmer, I thought that's where I belong. Uh, you know, it just always uh, even, you know, even went to college for uh, agriculture economics. I studied at Purdue University. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, the events of September 11th, uh, like so many other uh, post 9-11 veterans, really moved me. And I knew I had to do something. I was sitting, uh, you know, 
my freshman year of college was 2001. Um, you know, was able to, to stay in school, everything, but just kind of watching, saying I want to do something. 2002, the, the really urge came on even stronger and finally couldn't take it any longer and left school after my second year at Purdue to enlist in the Air National Guard, uh, you know, the component of the Air Force there. Nice. And so you you go into the Air National Guard. What was your what was your mo? What was your 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 rate? What were you doing? Yeah. So honestly, you know, uh, like probably most people going to the Air Force, my only dream ever was to fly. And uh, so I said, okay, well, I'm enlisted. Uh, you know, what's the quickest path? How do I get back to school? Finish my degree that side. And um, you know, there's a there's a specialty in the Air Force we call it the a- AFSC, Air Force Specialty Code. And uh, that is in refueling. So literally, they call it petroleum's oils and lubricants. And uh, we joke that you're out driving around a 6,000-gallon bomb. Um, you know, you're <laughs> driving a big semi-truck full of fuel. Nice. And uh, you're a great target. So, uh, yeah, I, I, on, on the enlisted side, I spent about four and a half years refueling the fighter jets in our wing. Okay. And then you transitioned over to being an officer? That's right. Yep. So, so, you know, with the Air National Guard, I was able to, you know, take basically I took a year off for basic training, okay. um, the, the specialty training on that and the refueling side, but then returned to, to Purdue uh, to just go back and, and finish up my degree. Right. And then, you know, one weekend a month would go home uh, to, to the base in Fort Wayne, Indiana. It was the 122nd fighter wing and uh, do my drills and, and, you know, ultimately finish school that way. Nice. And so you're an, you're an officer now in the uh, in the Air National Guard. Uh, how long did you stay in? So uh, a total, my total time in service was nine years total. So I was about almost exactly uh, half and half enlisted and officer. So I, I've loved having that experience on the enlisted side because then when it came my turn to lead and manage, uh, I, I knew what good leaders look like, and more importantly, I knew what bad leaders look like. That's well. right. That's a good point. Yeah, there's so many of them uh, that I, I experienced as an enlisted person. So it's nice to see that you had that different perspective because uh, all the ones that I always uh, respected were the ones that wore my uniform before they wore that uniform. So, Bart, why, why did you uh, leave after nine and a half years? So, you know, a, a number of things, um, you know, in, in that time, my, my main goal was to, to do a deployment. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, September 11th was the main motivator for my joining. And it wasn't honestly until 2010 that that opportunity presented itself. Uh, and so I spent a year um, in the host province of uh, Afghanistan, uh, right on the Pakistani border on Fab Salerno. Uh, many uh, people know of that. It's called Rocket City. Uh, and, and actually was the lone Air Force officer assigned to an Army team. And uh, so, you know, got plenty of hazing in that sense. But uh, honestly, it was a lot more fun, a lot more hands-on type of work uh, than, than I ever got to do in the Air Force. You know, I said uh, in, in eight prior years in the Air Force, I never got to set off a Claymore mine or anything like that. You know, go down to Fort Knox with the Army, and they let me play with some big toys. Yeah. <laughs> Which is part of the appeal, right? You like to, uh, I, I, I don't know, I, I was a navigation in, in, the, in the Navy, but it still had fun when we, they allowed us to shoot things. So That's right. You know, they would always razz me a little bit and say the Air Force had the best, best hotels, best golf courses, everything oh like that. Oh, my God, that. do but, they? 
Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, there was no no question. I'd, I'd much rather uh, always stay on an Air Force or Navy base for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was stationed in Keesler or uh, near Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi, and our base was basically this little man-made rock that they built in the middle of the Gulf, which was garbage. And so we would always go to Keesler because that base was amazing. It had a theater, it had a, you know golf course. It, it was just we always went to the Air Force bases because you guys had the best stuff. <laughs> yeah, but but so but Carmen, you know, to answer your question on that, um, you know, after uh, I spent a year, 2010 and 2011. Uh, in Afghanistan, um, probably, honestly, the, the best experience of my life. At that time, I was, what, uh, 26, 27 years old, uh, really kind of, you know, turning a, a new chapter in life. I'm very proud of all I accomplished, you know, before the military, but uh, there was no more formative experience in my lifetime than that year I spent there. Um, you know, I think, uh, obviously, a, a, a major word and issue uh you know a lot of people deal with after that post-traumatic stress disorder whatever you call it i personally believe in post-traumatic growth and and that's what has happened to me since that time Uh, i i found a new version of myself much healthier routines from exercise spiritually physically mentally you name it Uh, but it really took leaving the stresses of everyday american life to go over there to really figure out how basic life is and how much you can really control your own destiny if you put in the time and discipline necessary. I love that mentality because you you hit the nail right on the head. There's nothing like going to another part of the world to realize just how small you are to to figure out how to find your focus. And that I love that that part of the story. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. that is amazing. And then, um, so after you left, um, is that when you considered starting a business? It is. Uh, you know, I, I worked a variety of uh, kind of political jobs back in Indiana, where I'm from. Um, while I was in the Air National Guard, you know, before I'd activated and, and spent the time in active duty, uh, had worked back and forth there with several governors of Indiana and that always, you know, my, I guess I didn't go in my, my officer side. I ended up as a logistics and operations officer. So operations is, is really my background. I like, you know, the nuts and bolts and uh, the, the detail side of things. Um, but, um, you know, I was, um, you know, working a couple different operations jobs. Um, and, and in the course of all that, I met my wife, uh, who was actually down in Dallas, Texas. And so uh, that's what brought me to Dallas from Indiana. And I was, uh, you know, um, director of sales and operations for a, another startup company in the live events world uh, when, when this idea for, you know, at the time we were calling it the Uber for, la- for landscaping, Uber for lawn care. Um, and, you know, that was the original concept that my co-founders and I all felt strong enough to actually, you know, leave our past jobs and uh, get together to, uh, you know, <laughs> build something out here. So, so prior to you starting the company, you were actually working for, it, it sounds like, uh, somebody else, right? That's right. That's right. So I spent, uh, I mean, you know, I got off, let's say, I, I got off active duty in September of uh, 2011, uh, worked in the civilian world, um, you know, for about three years um, with that side. Um, and, you know, honed, honed a lot of my more communications business kind of networking skills 
And in those roles, I was very fortunate to, you know, get to travel a lot, meet some great leaders, meet some other great entrepreneurs who, you know, I, I looked up to so much, but also realized, hey, there's nothing. Once you meet these guys and ladies, uh, you know, you shake their hand, they put their boots and pants on the same way you do each morning. Uh, if you want to work hard enough, you can do it as well. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point, and, and a lot of transitioning veterans tend to do that too. I know in my own journey, I spent a lot of time working in the workforce before I figured out what it was that I wanted to do. Um, so, talk a little bit about the the first Robin Autopilot. Isn't your first venture, is it? No, it's not. Um, and, and so, you know, ultimately, um, I, you know, I, I have a, a failed venture uh, in that sense. Is you know, the first idea I had that I felt strong enough to uh, to leave and, you know, go pursue was a, a mobile payments app. And, uh, you know, I mean, think you can find find those out there a dime of a dozen these days. Right. Um, but, you know, ultimately that uh, that's what drove me to Patriot Boot Camp for the first time. Uh, you know, that's what really put me in the veteran entrepreneur world uh, where I knew there was a whole plethora of great mentors available, other things like that. And, you know, there's so many leaders out there that love to help veterans. They just want to know the best way to find them. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, that's that's where uh, I, I started. Uh, Silver was the mobile payments app in uh, January of 2014. And, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, raised a small amount of funding, um, you know, had some pilot customers. We were trying to uh, – basically allow mobile payments for valet parking, tipping, smaller cash type donations that you wouldn't typically carry cash for. Hmm. Uh, that was the initial plan for it. Uh, but, you know, ultimately realized that, you know, it was a, a very, very difficult endeavor alone. Uh, and I needed a lot more help and knowledge than, than I was ready for at that time. So it's really interesting. I want to hear more about this because I think a lot of our listeners, um, you know, they hear about the entrepreneurial journey and this great, amazing adventure, but there's also things that don't happen really well. And, and you've experienced this in your first endeavor. When, when did you know that this, that silver was done? When, what was the sort of aha moment to, to, for you to realize that it, it's time to shutter this and move on to whatever the next opportunity I'm moving on to? I think that's a great point um, because you know there, especially if you're bootstrapping, uh, there there's no there's you know no authority out there that tells you you have to shut your business down. Right. Uh, you know it's not like not like we filed for bankruptcy or anything like that. I mean it was I I could have kept pursuing it, and you know foolishly out of foolish pride and and further. But uh, you know my my joke is if if three people you love tell you it's a bad idea, it's probably a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or it's That's time true. to move on. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and and so I mean, you know, it, it was a combination of things. Uh, but ultimately, I looked at it and said, you know, th this idea that the the plan for Robin, what is Robin today, was presented uh, and and discussed among a group of friends and, and co-founders at the same time. Uh, and so ultimately, you know, that is that is what was the catalyst. Uh, the ultimate uh, decision maker to shut down Silver um, because this was a much better opportunity uh, with a much better team that, that allowed me to, to do exactly what I love doing uh, with the resources, um, you know, to, assembled to actually build out something I saw was a much greater opportunity. 
Nice. So we've been talking to Robin, uh, to, to Robin CEO, Bart Lamont. Uh, Bart, you mind if we pay a bill real quick? No, of course. All right. CPA dudes where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Customers decide the value to them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just uh, they just get the job done. Find them at cpadudes.com forward slash start up startup radio. Thank you, Carmen, for that. And uh, yeah, we love CPA dudes here uh, at the at the. Uh, startup radio network. So uh, we've been talking to Bart Lamont of Robin Autopilot. Uh, he's been telling us a little bit about his first endeavor, Silver, and we've, we're just now transitioning into Robin Autopilot, which is uh, which is a phenomenal business. How did you know this is what you wanted to do? Like, what was the sort of aha? This is I'm gonna do this. Well, I want to know how how you. Uh, heard about it, if it was your idea or if it was somebody else's concept or if there was a group of you who uh, talked about this. Yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, so so all kind of related and, you know, in, in that uh, founding story. So, um, you know, I mean, obviously lawn care, um, you know, $80 billion industry across the United States. Um, and most Americans outsource their lawn care, hire a guy uh, to do it. And so, you know, at the time, I was still working, um, you know, towards silver and, and pursuing that 100%. I mean, that was my passion for sure. But, uh, you know, my development partner in, in that uh, and co-founders uh, was, was a company called Dialexa. Uh, they're a software development, you know, product development uh, type company um, here out of Dallas. And so I actually went in, you know, used their office space, everything when I was doing that. And, um, they, you know, had kind of a, an R&D arm, uh, more of a labs type concept where, you know, just different business ideas um, would, would be tossed around, uh, you know, group of, uh, uh, you know, coworkers, whatever, sitting around having a few beers talking about, you know, different products or, or solutions that they've come across. And, and this idea, you know, like I said, in the early days, this was back in 2014, uh, everything was Uber for, and this Uber for landscaping just really kept honing in. And it was a problem three of the four of us uh, co-founders had all experienced, and that was hiring a reliable landscaper, uh, finding someone that you could actually pay with a credit card, schedule your services online, uh, and you know they'd reliably show up and, you know, at least someone on the team, or whether it's even customer service, or whatever, would speak English to help you with any of your issues. So, you know, that was that was the original concept. Um, you know, this was this was one uh, one of our co-founders, Scott Harper. It was actually his idea, and and you know he was, but he's the one who presented it to all of us and said, you know, is this something? You know, I think and, and instantly it resonated. Uh, I, I had at the time had gone through three or four different landscapers trying to find a final solution. Nice. And so the 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 model that you guys have today, though, that wasn't the original model. You guys didn't go in this thinking that you were going to uh, be a franchise model. A model, am I right? That's right. That's right. And 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 real quick on that too. You know, I want to talk about. Um, you know, how I knew this was right for me, because obviously we're still on silver. And, and you know, when you talk about teams, it's no different than your military experience. You know, right. the, the, in, or the team's only as strong as the weakest individual. And, and I knew there are a lot of skills out there that I 
didn't have, that I needed other resources. And, and so, uh, you know, Scott, who I mentioned, had the original idea. He was kind of the architect of the original team, and he introduced me to Justin Crandall, who is actually our CEO. And Justin, I mean, you know, we joke and said, you know, when I introduced myself, I say I'm the co-founder that didn't go to Harvard Business School. Uh, <laughs> he's a, a brilliant financial mind, has great startup experience in Austin, um, you know, had worked for several companies that have IPO'd and gone on to great success. And, you know, he's uh, a little bit older, a little more experienced. But, uh, you know, when I met him, I knew we could build a great team together because we're great complements to each other. So, um, go ahead. Yeah. So, and, and could you also share about the product? Because you talk about the idea and you talk about the problem. The problem was finding someone to do your lawn and then how the product came about. Yes. And, and so, you know, I mean, we, we developed the product to, to solve that problem. I think, you know, one, one issue, you have hackathons and everything out there uh, with, with a lot of great products out there that are built to go find a problem to solve. But, you know, our mentality has always been, let's, let's identify the problem and then build the product to make sure that we solve that better than anyone else can. Uh, and, and that's always, you know, from a development perspective, from our operations team, everything, it's, you know, what is the problem we're really solving? And that is providing Americans with the most reliable lawn care solution possible. And um, so, you know, that was that was the original product market fit where we pulled that together. Uh, but, you know, we were starting there with an Uber for landscaping model where we had contractors. Uh, you know, at one point um, last year um, and, and early last year, I mean, we had over 80 contractors across Texas, Georgia, Florida. I mean, ultimately, we were in about eight different markets. And I mean, we mowed over 100,000 lawns in the wow. course of that time, built it up to about $400,000 a month in revenue. Uh, I mean, things were, were going very well, except for one thing, that we hadn't really fundamentally changed lawn care. We were still reliant upon those contractors that were not providing reliable service. Sure. So, you know, we introduced technology, we had a great customer service team, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, we still had unreliable contractors showing up or not showing up to a customer's lawn. Oh, man. And, and even the best contractors we had were still plagued by rain or mechanical breakdowns, things like that. So, I mean, you know, one day of rain affected 20 to 25 customers for one crew. Hmm. That's crazy. So, so how did you guys decide to say, all right, we have to reevaluate this model? Because I think a lot of a lot of business owners don't recognize that, right? They they don't look at it from a problem of uh, from the outside to figure out how they can best uh, adjust their model to accommodate a bigger growth model. So, what was that conversation like, and and how did you come to the the consensus that franchising was the right answer for you guys? Yeah. So, well, you know, first. Um, you know, we, we looked at it from a from a customer retention standpoint, um, you know, in our current, you know, established markets of Dallas, Austin and Houston. Uh, we said, you know, where where is this business going and, and what do we need to get it to a point where where it could truly scale out, um, you know, to to a very profitable venture. Um, and, you know, in our in our current markets, I say our original markets of, you know, the Texas markets, we were still growing, but much slower than we wanted to be. 
Um, but, you know, our new markets where we were opening up, you know, that was kind of the low-hanging fruit. Uh, and, and so, you know, it started with a conversation between uh, the, the two co-founders. Uh, and then we brought in the rest of the team and, and said, you know, I think this is something, uh, you know, we, we really need to discuss. And, you know, on the side, we had been testing some of these robotic lawnmowers. I'd been reading, you know, since I think it was back in late 2015, early 16, uh, iRobot was granted some FCC license for, um, you know, some communications um, spectrums that had angered some astronomers. And, you know, all the rumors were for it that it was, this was actually going to be their first robotic lawnmower. So that was the first time it had ever crossed my mind. And uh, so, you know, we'd been testing it in the side, trying to figure out, you know, is this really something? Uh, but then, you know, the more research we did, we looked and said, wow, there are actually over a million of these robots operating in Europe. Wow. How has this not caught on in the U.S.? Yeah. And and so that was, you know, we, we saw, so, so that decision point that I was talking about earlier, where our current markets were kind of flatlining, growing much slower than any of the newer markets, at the same time, we had a, a test of, you know, 50 to 100 robots going, and the customer experience was phenomenal. People love these things. They were naming them. I mean, you know, it was it was going off the charts. Wait, I mean, wait, that's wait. When, they were naming these things? Oh, of course. <laughs> we've got, <laughs> we've got Mo yeah. Reese, so, Mozilla. Mo, yeah, it's it's, oh it's my something goodness. we encourage. What was, the, uh, what was the most odd name that you heard somebody name their Robin Autopilot? <laughs> well, some I probably shouldn't say if uh, there are children listening. There are no children um, listening. <laughs> that's right. So, so I, I mean, I, I think... I think Mo Reese was my favorite. Yeah, uh, but good. you know Sven. Um, that, that's uh, just you know there, there are so many in this business. You know, one of our taglines is "No more pain in the grass." Uh, so nice. you know, there's a lot of puns, a lot of fun, uh, and you're talking about something that you know anyone who's ever um, had their own lawn can relate to. It's a job they've done. It's great though that you that these folks are putting a name or connecting it in a personal way to further embed themselves with this brand, right? Like, where else do you get that, right? I don't know that anybody's naming their iRoombas or you know their watches or their iPhones. Like, I a long time ago would name my cars. My wife and I we would name our our cars would have names, mm-hmm. but there was something that we used all the time. I but I think it's great that you had consumers of your product that that decided to further integrate their vested interest in your in your brand exactly and that's you know i mean back to the original product that we were setting out to build and and problem we wanted to solve was delivering that delightful experience and you know with contractors you i mean it's something out of your control you're delivering an experience out of your control and with robots we realized this is actually much more hands-on at the beginning. Uh, you have that direct relationship with the customer, and then you actually have your brand and your product sitting on the customer's lawn every day. Mm-hmm. So you're the first person they call anytime they think of something else. Uh, you're, you're the most trusted contractor on their property. That's great. So you guys, uh, you've made the decision to, to, to go to a franchise model. When you guys took this to Shark Tank, was that before or after you had made the decision to franchise? So believe it or not, Shark Tank actually came to us. 
<laughs> what? Um, mm. You know, we a lot of people had, had been telling us you need to you need to uh, apply, you need to apply, and you know we had we had raised uh, before we ever went on Shark Tank, we had raised um, over three million dollars and and angel and friends and family type investment, and and so you know had a, a decent valuation, things like that, where you know. Uh, most companies that go on there, smaller product type companies that, you know, are, are rate, you know, valuing themselves at $2 million for 40% of the company or something, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we said, this isn't where we want to be, you know, that, but they had actually seen us at TechCrunch Disrupt okay. uh, when we were out there in September of 2016. So they reached out and said, you know, this is a, this is a great, great service. Uh, we think, you know, that this robot would, would really catch a lot of people's eyes. You know, is this something you'd be interested in? And uh, so, you know, that's where the whole conversation started. And at that time, we were not yet franchising. Oh, wow. um, we had, um, you know, we were trying to figure out how we could grow, um, you know, across the country fast enough. And, and ultimately, you know, we, that's where we came to. Uh, and so we we'd filmed the Shark Tank episode back in June, literally it's Father's Day weekend. And... Uh, you know, at that point, you can't tell a soul that you're, you know, going. We found out we're going to be on in April. In June, you you actually, uh, you know, go out to film. You still can't tell anyone. And it wasn't until late October that we found out our episode would air on Veterans Day in November. Oh, okay. Yeah, and you guys were and part so, of a, a pretty big, like, there were four other companies that were part of that Veterans Day uh, episode. I'm proud to say, by the way, Carmen, three of those companies came through Patriot Bootcamp. So that's, uh, that's something to a, be proud of. A very good contingency of yeah. uh, represented Patriot Bootcamps in that episode. Uh, but talk, that's about, right. talk about that episode. Like, what was that experience like for you? It was it was incredible. You know, I mean, it, we say the the magic of Hollywood, but um, you know, I mean, everything you saw was very real. Um, you know, we were in the room a total of about 45 minutes, um, but you know, everything, you know, there was no retakes or, um, you know, edits with that. I mean, they, they cut down to what they wanted that, that they thought would be the most dramatic, tell the best story about our product and conversation. But, uh, you know, everything on there was, was a legitimate conversation and, and questions they asked us that we answered, you know, wholeheartedly and, and very truthfully. Um, so, you know, I mean, of course, we were disappointed. Uh, we didn't get the funding, but, the, um, you know, we, we knew going into it that uh, because, you know, we asked for $500,000 for 5% of our company, uh, you know, that's a, that's a much different valuation than they're used to. And most importantly, it was a, a service type business where, you know, they, they weren't going to flip it in two years or, you know, even shorter and get their immediate return on investment. You know, the, the joke in franchising is that it's a get rich slow scheme. <laughs> but but that's good that you guys had already set yourself up to uh, with the expectation that if we walk away with an investment, great. But if not, it's not the end of the world. The exposure is really where it's at. So when you guys, when the when the episode finally filmed, I remember it pretty succinctly. You you talked about this uh, when when I saw you last. But you got flooded with inbound requests. Oh, from across the country, literally. I mean, it's just been, and, and still, you know, I mean, that was our, and, you know, we, we've been not digressing too much from that, but I mean, you know, this is once again, when we knew the robots were really something special, uh, the, the requests from the media especially started coming. I mean, we were on CBS this morning, the Drudge Report, all of this when we were still only operating in Dallas, Texas. And so all this national media spotlight coming in, we're like, 
you know, we've got these leads from Vancouver, Washington and Portland, Maine. Uh, you know, how, how do we fulfill this demand? Mm-hmm. And, and that's ultimately, you know, what drove us down the path of franchising because once again, back to that customer experience, no one, no one operates, no one works as hard as a business owner. Right. And, you know, you can have a great manager in an area, but guess what? The person who, who really sees that puts the risk forward and, and has that potential for a great return, a small business owner, a franchise owner is ultimately the person we want representing our brand. And, and so that's ultimately, you know, what drove us down the path of franchising, uh, what we said going on to Shark Tank could really help with. And, and so literally in, in a matter of weeks, we flipped our entire website, everything, because, you know, it's November. Not many people are signing up for lawn care. We said, how do we harness the power of Shark Tank to our advantage? And so we, we put a major call to action on the website saying, learn more about franchising opportunities. And literally within two days, we had over 700 franchise leads coming in from that show. That's ridiculous. How does the uh, franchise model work then? Um, You have the product, and uh, do the franchises sell it then? That's right. And and so, you know, just to be clear, we're not selling any lawnmowers. You, You cannot buy a lawnmower. You can buy the Robin Autopilot service where a robot lives at your home and mows your lawn every day and you know one of our human employees will come out to your home and mow or i'm sorry edge uh do the string trimming you know the other part and so you know traditional landscaper might require two or three individuals to visit your home every week and now we have totally flipped that model disrupted the labor portion of landscaping and so basically, you know, a Robin Autopilot franchisee can start a landscaping business with one-sixth of the labor necessary for a landscaping business because one individual is only visiting that property every two weeks. Right. So the way it works is these things, these, uh, these, these uh, lawnmowers, the, the, the person comes out, they put it on the lawn, and just like a Roomba, it goes out and it mows the lawn. Meanwhile, this other, the, the franchise owner is over there doing other things while this thing's out there mowing the lawn. So who exactly? So who owns the ultimately? Does the franchise own the robot, even though the robot is sitting at the customer's house? That's correct. The the franchisee owns that. Uh, you know, we're financing it because you know these robots are a couple thousand dollars a piece, and and so you know, I mean, back to some of the advantages of Shark Tank. Even though we didn't get a shark to invest, we have had some of the biggest names in landscaping. Both, both from you know a lawn care um, uh, type company and also a manufacturer actually come to us to invest in our company. So wow. we have a much better strategic investors um, than than we ever w- would have with a shark. And so we're able to allow you know a, a franchisee to come in with a fifty or hundred thousand dollar total initial investment and you know bring in a hundred of these units that normally would have cost him over $200,000 just to get the uh, equipment required. So that's a big, big piece of why, you know, as a franchisee, you you wouldn't be able to go negotiate these type of deals with these larger manufacturers. Uh, you, you need, you know, a much larger network and, you know, that's uh, taken months and months of contract negotiations on that side, but that's something, you know, a major piece of it that we're offering our franchise. 
Mm-hmm. And and why does the uh, robot um, has has to stay at the customer's house? I mean, sounds like the franchise would have to have. Let's say if they had two hundred customers, they'd have to have two hundred robots. Is that correct? For the most part, um, you know, we do have. I mean, for example, my robot. Um, I have a 75-year-old widow next door, and so my robot crosses my driveway and mows her lawn as well. Um, so, you know, I mean, the neighbors can definitely share them. That's harder from a sales standpoint. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't tell everyone to plan on sharing every mower they have, but, uh, you know, you can definitely offer neighbors a discount. Uh, but for the, for the most part, it's planned on a, on a one-to-one ratio. And how many franchises do you guys have to date? So, so we actually just sold our first one um, you know, about two weeks ago, and we'll be announcing number two and three uh, here by the end of the month. Okay. That's great. So what's the onboarding process then? Because you've been fielding hundreds of these requests. What's the, do you have to, obviously there's a vetting out process. You have to make sure they can afford this. But what's the process for a prospective franchisee to jump in and, and get their own franchise? Yeah, no, so so great question, and, and you know, that's something we're learning as well. I mean, franchising is a whole new world and, uh, you know, a business in itself. Sure. Uh, so, so we've actually, you know, kind of separated out. Um, I, I love it. One of our first installers that, uh, you know, came onto the team early last year, we've uh, has, has already worked his way up through the ranks and is the general manager of our Dallas territory. So, you know, now – uh, Justin and I spend more time on the franchising side. That's what we're doing, helping out, you know, growing the network, growing the business in that sense. And so, um, you know, we have a, a formal process where you, you know, go to the website, submit your name. Uh, then we reach out immediately. I, I try to call or, or at least text everyone that tells me they're interested. Uh, you know, let them know, hey, you, you have direct access to the co-founders uh, at this early stage in the business. We care. We want to be a part of this conversation. Uh, but then, you know, we've got a whole series of materials available. You know, they can do their own online research. But I'd say the most beneficial thing is a weekly webinar. Uh, both Justin and I join this webinar every week. We put on about usually about 35 to 40 minutes of content explaining the opportunity in depth. You know, it's an Uber conference uh, kind of video call. And, uh, you know, we've got a whole deck of slides, everything we walk through. And then, you know, there'll be 20 to 30 people on these calls, um, you know, asking questions live uh, from that side. And so we do one every week. Then, you know, after that, we ask them to fill out a 20 to 30 uh, questionnaire, a 20 question uh, form so we know a little bit more about them. And then, you know, we share a little bit more, uh, you know, in terms of the contract and that, that side. Uh, but then, you know, the, the final steps are, are really, you know, one-on-one, one-on-two calls with us and then a discovery day where they come into Dallas, meet our entire team, and we actually take them out to see some robots in action. We take them out, you know, this time of year, we take them to see a live installation uh, where our team is out in the field working with that sense. And then, you know, finally, if it's a mutual fit, we officially award the franchise and, you know, negotiate the territory size, things like that. Nice. Uh, so what have what has been the biggest learning so far with this and and how have you overcome it because it it sounds like this has been a rosy red parade so far but i'm sure there's been hiccups along the way right and and how have you overcome those oh absolutely i think if you talk to any startup uh founder um and they tell you you know it's all all fun and uh you know celebrations they're they're lying they're living the dream that's right (laughs) (laughs) and uh, you know you've I'll say number one, 
you've got to, uh, back to just kind of advice or anything like that, you've got to have a, a spouse that supports your endeavors. Uh, you know, my wife, uh, before I ever decided to, uh, you know, go on the entrepreneurial route and that, and we had to make a plan to figure out how we were going to support our lifestyle and, and, you know, pay the bills for, I think I went a total of about nine months without pay. Um, and, you know, fortunately had saved up a lot of the time in Afghanistan where I didn't have expenses or anything like that. But, um, you know, that's uh, the, the personal finances side of it is so real and it's something that affects everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, it's going to take, you know, this was, I started this journey in January of 14. So I'm still four years into it. And, you know, even just a few months ago when we were finishing up a couple deals like that, again, we didn't have a paycheck between the founders. Um, you know, it's it's that real for several years. You've got to have a plan in place and someone else there to support you. Um, but, you know, uh, I think uh, my, my best uh, best mentor had told me, you know, you celebrate the wins and you work through the losses. And, and so, you know, little things like going out to a fun date night on a, on a day you sign a big contract, uh, you know, toast that and uh, then get back to work. Yeah. No, and I, and I appreciate you including the the family in this because as, as somebody that's gone through these a couple of times, it I don't think founders really understand that not only are you going through this journey, but the people around you are going through this journey, right? So um, having that as part of the discussion is really key for, for founders that maybe they've not gone through this uh, journey in the past, or maybe they're taking a different tact uh, as it relates to their journey. But but so important to understand that uh, because I think it's not not talked about enough. But uh, so we've been talking to Bart Lamont of Robin Autopilot. Bart, we're going to pay another bill. Is that cool? Of course. All right. So... Pork bun domains, website and internet commerce for the rest of us. So pork bun domains, they, they have website names for your business and personal brand at the lowest prices with the free, amazing services. So everybody's heard of these .com and .nets, .orgs, but, uh, but pork bun domains allows you to have a domain that best describes your business. So for example, if you have a designer or you're a design entrepreneur, you could get a dot .design domain name. Pretty handy. So use your imagination and contact them at porkbun.com forward slash startup radio and tell them Josh and Carmen sent you. Uh, awesome. Thank you. Uh, again, we've been talking to Bart Lamont at Robin Autopilot. We're going to keep going in this journey here because I think there's a lot more to it. We have, I don't know, about 15 minutes left here. I really want to start talking about lessons learned and really give our listeners some really good information about the things that you went through, some challenges you faced, and how you were able to to really uh, overcome it. And we just talked a little bit about the family stuff, but within the business, talk about your co-founder dynamics. You know, I, I've had co-founder issues in the poor, in the past. I've, I've fired co-founders in the past. Has it... How have you been able to maintain the dynamic between, you know, you're talking about three founders here? Yes. No. And I mean, you know, back to uh, the uh, the analogy with family and that, um, you know, it, it, it's very true that uh, co-founders are often closer than husband and wives uh, or, you know, spouses in that sense. Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely spend... Uh, Justin and I, especially, you know, the the, the third co-founder is Dialex of the company. Uh, you know, our first two years, we worked out of their office. We were all together nonstop. Um, you know, since that time, we've grown out of their space, and 
um, you know, still obviously they're still actively involved in the board and, and provide, you know, great counsel and that side. But, um, you know, especially Justin and I, I think, you know, that's where your personalities have to have to match. Um, you know, we're not best friends that hang out all, all the time after work. You know, he's got two children and I have two children. Um, but when we're at work, it, it's got to be something built. You know, there's got to be the mutual respect there. Uh, where where you truly see value in each other and and you provide a compliment to each other, uh, you know he's much more the analytical, uh, data driven financial mind. Uh, I'm I'm more of the outgoing, um, you know, development type uh, person that that loves to just go network and and build out our our network like that. Um, you know, <laughs> on the joking side, back to how much time you spend together. You know, I mean. Obviously, a, a lean startup on a on a very strict budget. We always share a hotel room, and so I mean, you know, we just finished a road trip throughout the state of Florida recruiting franchisees, and you know, shared uh, shared a, a couple, um, you know, small <laughs> Hampton Inn hotel rooms all the way from Jacksonville down to Fort Lauderdale. So, nice. uh, you know, that's a, a, a piece of it. You've got to make sure it, it, from the beginning, uh, because there there's no more costly mistake than than a split like that where. Most importantly, you're you're losing your focus on why you started this endeavor in the first place. Yeah, and, and it's important too. Uh, you know, when, when you're starting a venture, uh, it could be your best friend, it could be somebody you've never met, uh, aside from you know some networking events. But uh, it's important to really understand how to set up the dynamic between the founders, but also that all your paperwork's in order that, because it's a business at the end of the day, you don't want to find yourself with your pants down, uh, and exposed, uh, for, for things when, when things go wrong. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love that. Yeah. So, and, and one, so, sorry, go ahead. So it's that synergy of being able to get along and then both, both of you have contributing, uh, special skills to, to the opportunity, to the business. And, yeah. um, and in sharing your values, because you have to have that shared value uh, in order to uh, for the venture to be a success. Absolutely. Exactly. You've got to share that vision. Um, uh, otherwise, you know, the, if, if the, the leaders aren't aligned in their vision and, and why they go to work every day, you can bet the team will have no clue where they're being led. Uh, if, if you don't have that clearly communicated and articulated strategy. No, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and to hold each other accountable as well, right? When things go pear-shaped, as they often do, just making sure that everybody is aware of how, you know, what they're accountable for and, and to make sure that they're held to, to those same standards. Exactly. And, and it's a good culture thing, too. As you bring people in, you want to make sure that you're sharing with them the culture and the values that you find so important because, to your point, finding a team is really difficult. And and when you do find the wrong person, uh, it could set your business back so far uh, if you're not careful. That's true. Yeah. Cool. Bart, I want to hear more about what you guys are doing now and uh, and wh- what's next for Robin Autopilot. You've got this great franchise you're you're figuring out, but what's the next five years for Robin Autopilot? What's the, what does Robin Autopilot look like in ten years? Yeah, so so you know, I mean, back to that vision side, um, you know, where we started uh, nearly four years ago now was to build out the nation's first residential lawn care brand, um, and you know, that's something delivering 
a delightful, just a wow experience to customers is the only way you'll really build that network nationwide. Sure. And, uh, you know, we have to have to be able to do that through a franchise network. And so, um, you know, I, I said our first franchise is off on, on the ground, you know, rolling in Michigan. Uh, we'll be announcing in North Carolina and uh, a couple other Texas markets here this month. Uh, but, you know, in the next five years, we'll, we'll be, uh, you know, ideally hitting that 100-plus franchise Z number. Nice. Um, you know, we'll, uh, there'll, there'll be some great improvements in the technology side. These robots, uh, you know, uh, are, are very technologically advanced. But, you know, as, uh, there, there is some competition in the marketplace. Um, you know, uh, major brands such as John Deere and Honda and Husqvarna, are investing more and more dollars into the robotic mowing space. Uh, so, you know, I mean, we've, we've had visitors from all the manufacturers from many different European countries and China, uh, you know, coming over here to see how we're doing it in Dallas. And, you know, that is a, a very, very small, I mean, you know, our estimates are there are three to 5,000 lawnmower, robot lawnmowers total in the United States right now. Oh, wow. uh, and, you know, you compare that to a million plus in Europe and uh, you look at the market opportunity here. Uh, it's very, very exciting to see what this market could become. And so I think, you know, five years from now, uh, we're just at the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Ten years from now, we'll be larger than the European market for sure. Um, and, you know, this will be I joke my three year old um, who, you know, knows how to reprogram our robot if he has to, um, you know, it's going <laughs> to be shocked at the sight of a gas-powered lawnmower uh, by the time, you know, in his teenage years, he'll never have the opportunity to actually mow a lawn. But the good news is he'll actually be programming these robots and still providing other, you know, human necessary tools such as the flower bed weeding or, you know, different horticulture and agronomy type positions. That's that's an interesting point. (laughs) Why do you think... Why do you think this is caught on in Europe and it's not something that has really caught fire here in the U.S.? Why, why are they, why are there so many units in you? That's astounding to me that there's millions of units over in the Euro, in Europe and there's less than 4,000 in the U.S. That, that seems counterintuitive to me to think about it in that regard. So, so the number one um, you know, reason we've found is, is just the fact that they don't have the landscape service industry we have here in the United States. Hmm. Uh, regardless if you're, you know, Washington state, they're raising the, the minimum wage, um, you know, prices will be going up. We've heard, you know, um, you know, in different parts of the country, but regardless where you are in the United States, you can find someone to mow your lawn for 30 to $50 a week, give or take for a, mm-hmm. for a small property. Uh, if you go to Europe, you don't have that at all. They don't have that type of cheap labor. Um, ultimately they, you know, gasoline's much, much more expensive there. So there, there are some taxes on um, gasoline, uh, things like that. And, uh, you know, it's just for, for a European homeowner, uh, it makes a lot more sense to actually, um, you know, purchase a product like that where, um, you know, they're, they're buying their time back because they're not sitting on a lawnmower. Okay, in the United States, uh, an American, you know, might spend six to $800 a year on their lawn care because they're just paying a service for it. So it doesn't make sense to go out and buy a couple thousand dollar piece of equipment. That's interesting. But, and and then going back to the other thing you just said, where, you know, uh, the, you're going to, you're basically eliminating the need to have some teenager down the street, mow your lawn for, you know, for whatever it is, uh, which 
I'll be honest, is kind of sad to me because I really want my teenage son to learn how to you know do manual labor. But uh, I, I think it's 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 a really interesting sort of shift in the dynamic because I think as as programming becomes the new literacy in our country, this is going to be really important to figure out how to solve these problems in a more efficient way. Uh, and and having things like Robin Autopilot just serves to shift the narrative a bit, which is great. Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of my favorite comparisons is, you know, did, did the U.S. labor market suffer a dramatic blow when dishwashers were invented? You know, you go into a restaurant, there's not a lot of humans washing dishes these days. Sure. But guess what? They're providing other functions um, where it's much more important to, to have this skilled and trained labor force. Absolutely. So, um, you know, between trimming the shrubs, weeding the flower beds, planting other flowers, there's still a plethora of other services that a human will actually be trained on and much more qualified for than, you know, that piece of manual labor. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Great. Uh, Carmen, do you have any other questions? I feel like we, we, uh, we got this, like, we were really efficient um, with our time this week. Yeah, and, well, you know, do you have any best advice to offer um, another entrepreneur thinking about starting a business? Any one big thing that you really think is important to share? You know, definitely, I've got, you know, all types and, you know, unsolicited advice, right? Or I guess here you, you are uh, soliciting. But, uh, you know, I think especially in, you know, there, there's so much movement towards veteran entrepreneurship and that side, entrepreneurship in general. Um, but I, I do think there is a movement uh, in, in veterans, especially, we're all so proud and, and have at some points maybe too much confidence and think we're so much better to do it alone. Um, you know, it's not a bad thing. We, we covered it a little bit at the beginning here, but I want to stress the importance of going out and working for someone else and learning how the business world operates. I would not advise, I mean, unless you have a amazing idea that, you know, is, is already validated, I think it's a much better idea to go out, work for someone, identify a real problem in that industry and in another industry you've come across and then actually go out to build a team and, and solve that problem. Uh, you know, you're not a failure to go work for someone else for a few years and really, you know, sharpen your toolkit. That's great advice. And I think it's, it's important, too, because a lot of transitioning veterans don't have a good network. They've been out mm -hmm. in Afghanistan fighting or mm -hmm. overseas, forward deployed. So they don't have a network of folks. And it takes – people don't understand how important a network is until they – um, until they really have built up a really helpful, valuable network. And part of being an entrepreneur is being able to navigate, as you said, Bart, the, the different myriads of, of networks and people and communities that are out there to figure out how best to not only solve a problem, but, but find people that could be helpful in helping you solve that problem. Okay. Absolutely. And, you know, it, and that's the, the beautiful thing about groups. I mean, you know, obviously Patriot Boot Camp was, was my first in, endeavor, uh, you know, in this uh, network. Uh, I've been since that time involved with Bunker Labs. Um, I'm, I'm just starting in uh, the, the George W. Bush Presidential Library. They've got this new uh, veteran leadership initiative, the Stand To Initiative, where veteran leaders from across the country are coming together to solve major issues plaguing veterans across the country. And, uh, you know, I think the power of a network should never be, um, you know, 
mis- misinformed or undervalued because entrepreneurship is a very lonely journey. And the only thing you can do to strengthen, uh, you know, solve some of that loneliness is to surround yourself with, with people who care about you and, and are doing it as well. By the way, yeah, the, thank you for sharing that. I was going to bring that up. Big news about the George Bush Institute. I'm so excited for you, man. Congratulations. Well, yeah. well deserved. Bart and I went through the first Patriot Boot Camp. Uh, well, it wasn't the first. I think it was the fourth Bart in, in 2014. Yeah, in Madison. In That's Madison, right. Wisconsin. Bart and I went through that, and that was my first uh, mm-hmm. um, sort of interaction with Patriot Boot Camp as well. So uh, we got, in fact, Governor Scott Walker was there. We got to meet him. Um, and what funny enough the gentleman that came out and talked to us about financial modeling Troy Hennikoff ended up being my managing director when I took my company through Techstars just small wow. world yeah right <laughs> crazy <laughs> now now here I am helping run the organization so it's uh, just a great small amazing network and I'm uh, so thankful to have people like you, Bart, that are out there showcasing what veterans can do as an entrepreneur, doing it in a in a in an amazing way, and thinking about a problem uh, differently. So it's so great, and I'm so thankful for people like you. We're proud of you. Well, thank you both, and uh, you know, thanks for helping spread the word. Uh, you know, uh, there 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 are many spokes in the wheel that will help solve this problem. Uh, you know, my my specific focus with this leadership initiative is is to help um, you know underemployment in the veteran community. I think you know there's a lot of talk about unemployment, but the number of people just out there, uh, you know, I I personally have driven for Uber. I'm not talking down on that, but I wouldn't want to do it for a career. Sure. Uh, and you know, it's a great great way to kind of stopgap, pay the bills in that sense. But uh, you know, I did that to learn and meet people and, and, you know, pay the bills while we were building something. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'd really like to introduce more veterans to the franchising world and, uh, you know, would ask all of your listeners to, to seriously consider it. Of course, I'm, I'm interested to talk to him about Robin, but there is uh, there, there is proven data out there that veterans are much more successful to succeed in the franchising world because they know how to follow an operations manual. They know how to, to lead people. And they're not afraid to, you know, enter into the unknown and, and, you know, proceed forward. Bart, where can people find you? RobinAutopilot.com nice. is our website. Uh, Bart at RobinAutopilot.com is, is uh, you know, my email. Uh, would love to connect and, uh, you know, we'll be uh, more, than, more than willing to hop on a, a conference call, Zoom video, you name it. Thanks, Bart, for your time. Uh, you've been listening to Bart Lamont of Robin Autopilot. We are out of here this week. You've been listening to the Startup Radio Network, the network that brings inspiration and education to startups and entrepreneurs around the globe. Tune in next week where hopefully we have a name for this thing. And every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, listen, learn, and get shit done. See you guys next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.